Has anything like this ever happened to you? It was about 30 years ago. Computers were just starting to become popular. Microsoft was the only game in town. And I started doing my work, sermons, research on the computer. I was new to it all. I had been spending weeks, maybe even a couple months, working on this particular document of research that I had been doing. I had been polishing it, wordsmithing it. It was just about ready. And then one day, accidentally, I hit the wrong button and I deleted the entire document. I went through panic, fear, trauma, all of that work for months down the drain. It's one thing to fear that you have destroyed something you've been working on for weeks. Can you imagine fearing you have destroyed your entire life's work? Can you imagine fearing that you've not merely destroyed what you've done in the past, but fearing that you've destroyed your entire future? Imagine the hopelessness. Imagine the helplessness. Imagine the emptiness. Well, that is the fear that I am certain filled the mind of the man you and I are going to study today for the next few moments as we conclude our Lessons from the Wilderness series. Now, we've been highlighting events from the experience of the nation of Israel as they wandered in the wilderness, seeing what kind of lessons we can learn for our own lives. Now, the last time we were together, we learned of the lesson of idolatry as we unpacked the worship of the infamous golden calf. Well, today we're going to revisit the story, except instead of focusing in on the idol, we're going to focus in on the guy who created the idol, the man named Aaron. Now, let me remind you of who Aaron was. Remember, Aaron was a big deal. He was not only the brother of Moses, but he was also Moses' official spokesman. When God called Moses to lead the Hebrew people out of Egyptian bondage, Moses protested. He says, I can't do it. I'm not a very good public speaker. So God designated Aaron, his brother, to be his spokesperson. But Aaron was more than just a mouthpiece. Aaron was second in command in Israel. So he was a powerful and influential man in his own right. Well, that's who Aaron was. Let's take a moment to remind ourselves of what Aaron did. So Israel was camped out in the wilderness, and God called Moses to meet him at the top of Mount Sinai. It was there that God would give Moses the law and the Ten Commandments, along with instructions for building a tabernacle, a place of worship for the Israelites. Now, these instructions would include guidelines and regulations for how to worship in that tabernacle, including rules for who could and who would be the priests who worked in the tabernacle. It took 40 days for God to download all of this information to Moses. Meanwhile, at the bottom of the mountain, the people were getting impatient. And in that agitated state, they approached Aaron, the second in command, and they said, Come, make us gods who will go before us. As for this fellow Moses who brought us up out of Egypt, we don't know what's happened to him. Amazingly, Aaron went along with the plan. Aaron answered them, Okay, well, take off the gold earrings that your wives, your sons, and your daughters are wearing and, and bring them to me. And so that's exactly what the people did. They followed his instructions. They gathered the gold and they laid it at his feet. Now look carefully at what happened next. The Bible says, He took what they handed him and made it into an idol cast in the shape of a calf, fashioning it with the tool. Are you seeing this? Aaron made it into an idol. Aaron cast it into the shape of a calf. Aaron used a tool to fashion it. 
Aaron was the craftsman. Aaron was the artisan. Remember that. Tuck it away in your mind. You're going to need it in a moment. Well, meanwhile, up on the mountain, God gives Moses a, a heads up that there's trouble down below in the camp of the Israelites. The Bible says, Then the Lord said to Moses, Go down, because your people, whom you brought up out of Egypt, have become corrupt. They have been quick to turn away from what I commanded them, and they've made themselves an idol cast in the shape of a calf. Years later, looking back and reminding the Israelites of their own history, Moses himself described what happened next. Moses says, So I turned, and I went down from the mountain while it was ablaze with fire. And the two tablets of the covenant were in my hands. And when I looked, I saw you had sinned against the Lord your God. You had made for yourselves an idol cast in the shape of a calf. You had turned aside quickly from the way that the Lord had commanded you. So I took the two tablets. I threw them out of my hands, breaking them to pieces before your eyes. Well, Moses then confronted Aaron and he asked him why he did such a foolish thing. Look at Aaron's response. It's classic. He says, Do not be angry, my lord, Aaron answered. You know how prone these people are to evil. They said to me, Make us gods who will go before us. As for this fellow Moses who brought us up out of Egypt, we don't know what's happened to him. Look at what he says. So I told them, Whoever has any gold jewelry, take it off. And then they gave me the gold. I threw it into the fire and out came this calf. Right. <laughs> Now, you and I know that that is not how it happened. Everyone knew that that is not how it happened. Although the Bible doesn't record the conversation, I am certain that Moses held Aaron's feet to the fire. Pardon the pun. Come on, Aaron. Don't give me this. I threw it in the fire and out came this calf stuff. You gathered the gold. You got the tools. You fashioned and formed it into a golden calf. It was you, Aaron. You did it. Just admit it. So what's going on here? I mean, why in the world would Aaron act this way? Come on now, you really don't know? Are you trying to tell me with a straight face that you have no idea what's going on here? Are you seriously claiming that you have never done what Aaron did? Are you seriously going to look me in the eye and tell me that you have never lied, denied, or tried to hide your sin? I love the story of the cab driver who was getting his taxi cab painted a new color. And he says, listen, I want one half of the cab to be red and I want the other half of the cab to be blue. And the painter said, okay, I'll do it. It's your taxi cab, but why do you want half red and half blue? And the driver said, this way, if I ever hit another car, the stories of the witnesses won't match up. I can get away with it. What's Aaron doing here? Come on, let's take off our masks, put aside our pretensions and tell ourselves the truth. Every single one of us knows what's going on here because every single one of us has done it at some time in our lives. Aaron panicked. Aaron turtled. Aaron tried to cover his tracks. The guilt and the shame of what he had done was just too overwhelming for him. I mean, think about what was at stake at that moment in Aaron's life. He was about to be appointed the very first high priest of Israel. His sons were about to be appointed as his assistants and then his ultimate successors. God had laid it all out on the mountain. God had declared it and decreed it all to Moses. It was all set up. Aaron's future and the future of his family was all set up. 
And now he had gone and done this. I was thinking the other day, I wonder what Aaron's reaction was when Moses first told him about the Ten Commandments. Hey, Aaron, when I was up on the mountain, God gave me a top 10 list of sins. Really? Tell me about it. Yeah, he gave me a list of 10 things people should never, ever do. And then God himself engraved it on a slab of rock. Aaron, guess what the first two sins on that list are? Aaron says, I have no idea. Moses, tell me. Moses says, the first one is, you shall have no other gods before me. And the second one is, you shall not make for yourself an image in the form of anything in heaven above or on the earth beneath or in the waters below. You shall not bow down to them or worship them. I'm sure Aaron was thinking, what have I done? I mean, I can't imagine what must have been going through Aaron's mind. I can't imagine the absolute despair and hopelessness he must have been feeling. I'm sure he feared he had ruined everything. I'm sure he feared that he had thrown his entire life away. I'm sure he feared that his future and his family's future had been deleted and destroyed. Do you know anything about that kind of fear? Are you at all familiar with that kind of feeling? Are you haunted by your sin? Does your past hang like a dagger over your soul? No one else sees it, but you definitely feel it. Its weight drains you as you carry it around moment by moment. It's with you when you lay your head on your pillow at night. Sometimes it visits you in your dreams. It's waiting for you every morning when you awake. It's the gut punch of guilt. It's the shackle of shame. You're feeling what Aaron was feeling. Because of what you did, you feel as though your life has lost its purpose. Because of what you did, you fear that God has turned his back on you. Because of what you did, you feel that you have somehow deleted, destroyed, disqualified yourself. Well, that's how Aaron felt because of what Aaron did. But how did God respond? Now, I'm curious, how do you think God responded? I mean, what's your intuitive sense of what will happen next? As an airplane was about to land, the mother sitting with her son, she seemed to know her young son's intuitive sense of what would be happening uh, once they landed. She said, now remember son, when we get into the gate and we're greeted by the family, hug your father first and then hug the dog. Aaron has rebelled. He sinned. He's led Israel into idolatry. And then he tried to hide it. How do you think God responded? Where does your heart intuitively run? We've seen what Aaron did. Now let's see what God did. In Numbers chapter 18, it's recorded that God said this to Aaron. I'm giving you the service of the priesthood as a gift. Do you see that? I'm giving you the service of the priesthood as a gift. Now, what's a gift? It's something given voluntarily without any payment expected in return. A gift is a gesture of kindness. After all that has transpired, God said to Aaron, I am giving you the service of the priesthood as a gift. You didn't earn it, Aaron. You certainly don't deserve it, but I'm giving it to you nonetheless. I'm giving you the service of the priesthood as a gift. In Leviticus chapters 8 and 9, Aaron's ordination ceremony into the priesthood is described in detail. 
Bible says, the Lord said to Moses, bring Aaron and his sons, their garments, the anointing oil, the bull for the sin offering, the two rams in the basket containing the bread made without yeast. Bring it all and gather the entire assembly at the entrance to the tent of meeting. And then Moses said to the assembly, this is what the Lord has commanded to be done. And then Moses brought Aaron and his sons forward and he washed them with water. And he put the tunic on Aaron. He tied the sash around him, clothed him with the robe and put the ephod on him. Then Moses took the anointing oil and he anointed the tabernacle and everything in it. And so he consecrated them. And then he poured some of the anointing oil on Aaron's head and anointed him to consecrate him. Can you imagine the emotions that must have been flowing through Aaron's mind at that moment? I'm certain that the tears flowed down his cheeks as the oil flowed down his beard. He didn't deserve this moment. He didn't earn this moment. This moment was saturated and overflowing with grace. It wasn't just tears and oil that were flowing that day, though. Do you know what else was flowing in abundance? Blood. God's response involved a lot of shedding of blood. The Bible says, Moses then presented the bull for the sin offering, and Aaron and his sons laid their hands on its head. And Moses slaughtered the bull and took some of the blood. With his finger, he put it on all the horns of the altar to purify the altar. He poured the rest of the blood at the base of the altar. So he consecrated it to make atonement for it. Moses then presented the ram for the burnt offering, and Aaron and his sons once again laid their hands on its head. And Moses slaughtered the ram and splashed the blood against the sides of the altar. Moses then presented the other ram, the ram for the ordination, and Aaron and his sons laid their hands on its head. Moses slaughtered the ram, took some of its blood, and he put it on the lobe of Aaron's right ear, the thumb of his right hand, and on the big toe of his right foot. And then he splashed blood against the sides of the altar. Clearly, there was a lot of symbolism going on here, symbolism that we don't have time to unpack today. Symbolism that had blood at the center of it all. And this was just the beginning, by the way. It wasn't just this day that the blood was flowing. The truth is that blood was flowing every day from that day forward inside that tabernacle. Blood was the oil in the machinery of worship in Israel. And it was all flowing according to God's command. Why? Why did God require so much blood? Well, if you think in these terms, it'll help you understand. Think of the Old Testament worship ceremonies as one giant visual object lesson. Think of the Old Testament worship ceremonies as a visual and emotional drama depicting deeper truths. Through the Old Testament sacrificial system, God was depicting and declaring a truth to the hearts and the minds of humanity. A truth that was preparing them for a moment in the future when it would all make sense. Essentially, the blood was communicating three main things. First of all, Sin is ugly. Sin appeals to our sense of pleasure. Like a cigarette commercial from the 1950s, sin tries to sell itself as fun and free. Sin portrays itself as something beautiful, 
But the truth is the exact opposite. Sin isn't beautiful, sin is ugly. Sin drains us of hope and deprives us of freedom. Sin is ugly and God needed a way to break through the deception that was gripping us at an emotional level. So God devised a way to destroy the lie and depict the truth. When people were aware of their need for forgiveness, aware of their sin, God had them place their hands on the head of a lamb as a way of identifying with the lamb and watch as the lamb's throat was slit and the blood poured out. I know, it's ugly. Just picturing it is ugly. It's ugly because sin is ugly. And God loves us too much to let us linger in the lie. Well, the second thing that the presence of blood was communicating was the truth that sin is deadly. Now, once again, God had to visually and viscerally communicate the truth about sin in response to the lies that were bombarding humanity. Sin was not only being portrayed as beautiful, sin was also being portrayed as life-giving. Sin tells us that we're really not living until we're feeding and fulfilling every desire and craving that bubbles up within us. Following sin to the furthest is like living life to the fullest, sin tells us. Again, this is madness. Nothing could be further from the truth. Years ago, I remember reading about some Hollywood celebrity or mogul who put it in their will that when they were buried after they died, of course, they wanted to be buried in their Rolls Royce. And so here in the some funeral ground, some cemetery in Hollywood was this giant plot that had been dug out of the ground and this crane lowering this Rolls Royce into the crypt with the deceased guy in the driver's seat and a couple of cemetery workers were standing off in the distance watching, leaning on their shovels, and the one guy watching this says to the other, now that's living. That's not living, that's dying. The Apostle Paul put it as clearly as anyone could when he wrote in the book of Romans, the wages that sin pays is death. You work for a wage and the wage pays you. When you work for sin, The wage that sin pays you is death. Now, this transaction was being depicted every time a sacrificial ceremony took place. You would select a lamb to represent you, to stand in your place, and you would place your hand on that lamb, on the head of that lamb, identifying yourself with it. And you would watch as that lamb's throat was slit and the blood poured out. And you would witness the life drain from the eyes of that little creature. Why? because of sin, because of your sin. Sin is ugly, sin is deadly. But the deadliness of sin goes beyond the physical realm. Sin not only separates a human soul from its body, sin also separates that soul from its creator. See, God is a holy God and he cannot be in the presence of sin. And I've often put it this way, just like a healthy body rejects poison by vomiting it out, a holy God rejects sin. He cannot be in the presence of sin. So we had a problem. Our sin separated us from a holy God for eternity. Now, I am certain that such thoughts went through Aaron's mind at some point. His sin had not only separated him from his calling, his sin had also separated him from his creator. It wasn't just his immediate future that was at stake. It was his eternal future that was at stake as well. 
and there is nothing he could do about it. He had sinned and the ugliness and the deadliness of his sin came crashing down around him. But that's where the third truth being communicated by the presence of blood comes in. Blood communicated that sin is ugly and sin is deadly, but blood also communicated that God is gracious. A moment ago, I told you that through the Old Testament sacrificial system, God was depicting and declaring a truth that was preparing us for a moment in the future, a moment when it would all make sense. Well, that moment came when Jesus of Nazareth, Jesus the Messiah, stepped into history. Jesus, God who took on human flesh. When a prophet named John the Baptist saw Jesus, John pointed at him and said, Look, the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. For centuries, thousands upon thousands upon thousands of lambs gave their blood to cover over sins. But now, into history, stepped the one to whom every previous lamb had been pointing. The Lamb of God who doesn't just cover over, who takes away the sin of the world. Listen to what the author of the New Testament book of Hebrews wrote concerning Jesus. Writing to Jewish Christ followers, who who are now tempted to slip back into the old sacrificial system, the writer reminds them of who Jesus is and what Jesus did. He reminds them that the old sacrifices are now useless. He reminds them that everything in the old earthly tabernacle was pointing to what Jesus did for us in the eternal heavenly tabernacle. The writer of Hebrews says this, When Christ came as high priest of the good things that are now already here, he went through the greater and the more perfect tabernacle that is not made with human hands. That is to say, it's not part of this creation. He didn't enter by means of the blood of goats and calves, but he entered the most holy place once and for all by his own blood, thus obtaining eternal redemption. Aaron was the first high priest in Israel, and forgiveness was offered to him as a gift, offered through the blood of goats and calves to cover over his sin. Jesus was the last high priest of Israel, and forgiveness was purchased by him, by his own blood, the Lamb of God, who takes away the sin of the entire world. Okay, so what can we learn from all this? We saw what Aaron did. We saw what God did. We know what we have done. We know what Jesus has done. So when we pull it all together, Aaron's sin, our sin, the blood of animals, the blood of Christ, what can we take away for our own lives? Well, that brings us to today's big idea where we sum up the teaching in one sentence. Here it is. Salvation is trusting what God did to overcome what I did. Salvation is trusting what God did to overcome what I did. Every single one of us knows what it feels like to fail. Every single one of us knows what it feels like to rebel. Every single one of us knows what it feels like to sin and then try to hide it. Every single one of us knows what it feels like to wander in the wilderness. Every single one of us. Please hear me on this. You don't need to run from God. 
You don't need to hide from God. It's foolish to try to lie to God. You are known by God. And get this, you are loved by God. Don't run from him, run to him. You can trust him. He will deliver you. He will rescue you. He will forgive you. He will cleanse you. Call out to him for help. Call upon him for salvation. What's salvation? The answer is simple. It's today's lesson from the wilderness. Salvation is trusting what God did to overcome what I did. Let's pray together. God, we come to you right now in the name, by the authority of your son, Jesus, the Messiah. The one who came, who lived, who died as the ultimate lamb of God to take away the sin of the world. But he didn't remain in that grave. He defeated death. He defeated sin. He rose from the dead. And now he's offering all of us the gift of forgiveness and eternal life. God, thank you for your grace. I am overwhelmed by your grace, by your love, by your patience, by your mercy. None of us deserves it. None of us have earned it. Yet you pour out your love and your grace as a gift to us, purchased by your blood. Maybe you're watching right now and you've never accepted this gift. Or maybe you once did and you were in danger of walking away from it. Either way, return to God right now. Pray this prayer with me. God, I acknowledge my sin. Like Aaron, I have rebelled. Like the Israelites, I have rebelled. I've turned my back on you. I've done what I should not do. And I come to you acknowledging it. I turn my back on that way of life. I don't want to live that way any longer. I ask you to cleanse me, forgive me. I receive your gift of forgiveness and eternal life. Fill me now with your spirit. Live within me by your spirit. Change me from the inside out. Now, I know I'm not going to be perfect and sinless from this moment on. But the Bible says, if I confess my sin, you will be faithful and just to forgive me and cleanse me of all unrighteousness. So teach me your ways and give me the courage to act on this, to tell somebody about this decision before my head hits the pillow tonight. In Jesus' name I pray. Amen. Well, I hope you prayed that prayer with me. And I hope you are living in the grace of God. It's an ongoing daily experience. Listen, if you pray that perhaps for the first time, or you need someone to pray with you or interact with you, there's a number on the screen right now. Text that number and someone will help you take the next step or even uh, reach out to you and pray with you if you'd like that as well. God bless you folks. Thank you for being with us at Broadway Church today.